Hello everyone and welcome back to the MMA Archive. This is episode number six. Super excited to be here covering another UFC event. Last week we did, well, two weeks ago now with the little Thanksgiving break we had, uh, we was able to cover UFC number five, The Return of the Beast. And I'm even more excited to cover this one, man. UFC six, Clash of Titans. In this one, they're following the same model as the last one where they have a featured bout um, which would be Dan Severn versus Ken Shamrock, two OGs, um, one obviously a former champion, the other always in the mix as far as um, getting far along in those tournaments in Ken Shamrock. And on top of that, we got a whole tournament to follow. Um, so exciting stuff, some real marquee debuts on this one that I'm looking forward to covering. Um, so let's get right into it. UFC 6 Clash of the Titans. This one took place on July 14th, 1995. So we're, we're inching closer to 97. I know I keep mentioning that, but as soon as we hit 97, we're going to be able to cover some other organizations just besides the UFC. Um, this one took place at the Casper Venue Center in Casper, Wyoming, um, with a whopping 2,700 people in attendance. Had to mention that this time. Trying to keep all these relevant stats in uh, for all of you guys that are watching at home and gals. Uh, we got our TV announcers, Bruce Beck, Jim Brown, Jeff Blatnick, as well as our ring announcer. This one's special. Uh, the, Michael Buffer made his debut for the UFC in this one. The iconic, obviously, voice of boxing. <clears throat> and the brother of Bruce Buffer, who obviously is now the voice of MMA. So it was really really interesting to hear Michael Buffer doing these intros. I mean, obviously so historic, just the, his style. Um, but obviously in MMA, it's almost unheard of for him to, to be announcing. So I, I was excited to see him there. Obviously more familiar faces, man, this one, this one's a barn burner. I just want to say, I, I think this one was one of my favorite events that I've covered so far. I think this might be my favorite event that I covered so far. Just the storylines on top of um, the people that are in it that obviously become much more famous as time goes on. Uh, just really cool to see um, debuts as well as returning fighters from a whole bunch of different past events. So let's get right into it. You love seeing these familiar faces. So the first alternate bout took place between Joel L. Sutton and Jack McLaughlin. <clears throat> so this one was pretty funny. Jack had the, the Butterbean America shorts. Um, and then I wrote here, <laughs> this had me dying too. His roof was gone, but he was holding on to the sides. <laughs> so a <laughs> little ball headed, holding on to the sides though. You got to do what you got to do. Um, I would say Joel looked like the much more serious athlete. Um, you could definitely say that. Uh, when this fight started, Jack came out with his leg raised like he was about to throw the good old Gracie stomp, um, but instead he was sort of using it as a guard, um, and he actually used it pretty interestingly to sort of keep holding that guard up, and then um, eventually just duck right under and go for a takedown. It's a little strange. You don't you don't see it today. Sort of just praying mantis holding the leg up, walking around like a tie fighter, but ended up getting it and it worked um he got the takedown um but interestingly joel was able to hold uh onto jack and just sort of follow that momentum and get the reversal um but it was it was a, a nice little scramble where sort of jack's going for the takedown he secures it for a second joel's able to reverse but then eventually jack is able to re um reclasp his hands and sort of end up in joel's top guard uh, which I found pretty cool, just sort of a, a serious grappling transition. You don't really see moments like that um, so far in these events that we covered where it's a counter being countered, um, just levels of grappling as far as just, um, instead of just a takedown that leads straight into top position. Um, but <clears throat> Joel was able to verse um, position eventually and get onto top mount where you could see um, all that wrestling that Jack was doing. There was 
there was a serious level of urgency to it. He he really needed to get that takedown. And in that pursuit of the takedown, he really just gassed himself out. He had no energy left. And once Joel was on top, he had nothing to offer in that realm as far as trying to trying to get back his position. Um, Joel was able to finish with a flurry with some nasty headbutts to the back of the head, which I found just barbaric, to be frank. Um, obviously, this one was ended up finishing at <clears throat> two minutes and one second. Obviously, the, the rounds are still the same. There is some rules, rule changes that I will be getting to in a few that I think were of note, but obviously headbutts are still legal and it's just cringe. Whenever I see dudes headbutting people, it's like you're, you're probably doing more damage to yourself than you're doing to your opponent. Um, and it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It leaves a, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth for sure. But Joel Sutton was able to come away with the win in that one. Um, only thing I didn't like about these first couple of alternate bouts is for some reason they didn't have the tail of the tape for them. So I wasn't able to get the, get the particulars on these fighters. Uh, but we'll have that for you guys as soon as we can. <clears throat> so we have an, our first returning member. Our first returning fighter from the UFC. He's fought in the UFC before and unfortunately got the most unluckiest draw. He had to face Dan Severn in the first round, just got tossed around. Um, if you know who it is already, shout outs to you. But it is Anthony Mad Dog Macias coming up against He-Man Gibson. So um, obviously, whenever I have returning fighters in, in these events, it makes me excited because I want to see whether or not they made certain changes, how this matchup um, favors or doesn't favor them compared to their original run in the tournament. Um, so there's always things to think about here. Um, I, I found it interesting too. These two fighters are both pretty small um, compared to some of the other guys that we have coming up later on. Um, and I found that interesting that they were locked up against each other because they, they were fit guys well built for their size but not as big as some of the other guys that are in the tournament um and i think ultimately especially in a tournament like this size does matter unfortunately and um just something to think about in the long run here but both smaller competitors um but ripped well built um in shape fit and th those lead to some of the best fights as far as well matched fights which i enjoy to see <clears throat> so early on in this one gibson had some success getting a nice takedown from the body lock um as they tied up macias went for a hip toss uh, but gibson was able to do something really cool he stepped off to the side made some separation with his hips and then he used macias's momentum 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 in attempting to, to make that throw uh, to clamp onto the body lock and get that trip takedown. So I, I found that really cool. You saw a counter to the body, um, the hip toss and into the body lock takedown, which is, I think is not something that happens a lot today because not a lot of people are going for hip tosses. Um, but it was a very technical sequence nonetheless, where he knew the fulcrum that um, Macias was trying to create with that hip toss and completely avoided it, kept his hips separate, and then was able to attack the takedown from the body lock. Um, you could tell this guy trained judo at some point. But um, after the takedown, Macias was able to work his way to half guard and ended up getting a really nice sweep from half guard into top position and then worked his way into mount, which I it, it's always bugged out how fast those transitions go because usually you don't really see transitions from half guard as far as being able to get the full reversal. Uh, usually you're trying to get to, to full guard and then work for the reversal from there. Um, but he was able to just pull him over and get straight to top position. Um, Gibson was grabbing the wrist to try to present, um, prevent Macias from being able to land shots from um, full mount. Um, but eventually, it's only a matter of time till you're able to free those hands. He was able to free them in this one, like a savage, like like they all have been, um, by, by landing some nasty headbutts uh, that eventually allowed his hands to get free. And once they were, um, he started throwing some nice short elbows that got Gibson to eventually tap at three minutes and six seconds. 
so this one's listed as submission due to ground and pound. <clears throat> Just a, a great overall performance. Um, Face some adversity overall uh, early on was able to get the reversal and then just dominate from that point on. Um, I think, who knows? Right now, he's an alternate, but if he makes it into the tournament, he could do some interesting things depending on matchups. So, something interesting to note there. It was at this point where the, the rules were entirely laid out. And I think this is important because of the last super fight. They made some rules specifically for this one based on how the last one went between Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock. So our first rules here, no biting, no eye gouging. That's pretty standard. Uh, ref can start the fight on the feet if there's a lack of action. So I was asking for this last week. So I was really excited to see this because now we get referee stoppages. Um, I doubt they're going to be often anyway um, because they're not often now in modern MMA. Um, in my opinion, not as often as they should be sometimes. But the fact that the ref has that option, nonetheless, is really good. Big John finally has a chance to intervene in some of these uh, slogs. 20-minute um, time limit for tournament bouts, which I think is important. Um, and a 30-minute time limit for the finals and the featured bout. Um, really cool stuff, obviously. Not, not often you see straight 20-minute, 30-minute bouts. Um, especially nowadays, there's always the round markers. So the fact that there's no rounds and just constant, uh, constant round timer <clears throat> definitely changes the complexion of these fights. And finally, they can get to a five-minute overtime period in case a fight was not completed. Um, interesting situation. Obviously, the same thing happened in the Ken Shamrock Hoist Gracie fight. Um, and they still weren't able to come to a, a, a finish after that overtime period, which led to a draw. So at this point, there still are no uh, judges. Um, at this point, you're still expected to, to finish the fight, um, which I think sucks. Once again, Ken Shamrock got robbed. Um, just you hate to see it. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm like trying not to sneeze right now. But... Um, Interesting that they added these rules, especially the 20-minute um, time limit for tournament bouts rule. I think that's going to be interesting, just watching how these fights unfold and also kind of preventing um, some cardio issues later on, um, which obviously we haven't had tournament bouts go that long in the past, uh, but still good to have those precautions in place nonetheless. So our next fight, man, this one had me bugging out. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we had Tank Abbott. Um, obviously, his name is Daniel. Let me just double check that. David, sorry. David Tank Abbott versus John Matua. Um, Tank Abbott coming in at 6 foot 280. John Matua coming in at 6 foot 2, 400 pounds. Now, this this was the first thing of the night that I looked at. I'm like, that's questionable. I don't I don't know if John Matua's 400 pounds because he doesn't look much bigger than Tank Abbott. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe they was being a little generous there and trying to trying to add to his mystique a little. But um, I found it hilarious. Obviously, Tank Abbott is a a bigger guy. He's he's not on the the skinny side. He's obviously has has a lot of muscle to him, but um, there's also a lot of, a lot of chunk there as well. So I found it hilarious in the lead up to the, to the bout. He actually said, I'm going to, I'm going to be the most athletic person to step foot in the octagon. Um, and honestly, with the way these fights played out, who's going to argue with him? That's all I got to say. No spoilers, but who's going to argue with him? Um, I love that he walked out with the modern MMA gloves on with just shorts. So he he's looking like a modern MMA fighter. A B. This is the second guy to wear these these MMA gloves and sort of pioneer them in a way. Like I, I really feel like moving forward, there's going to be more of a chance that we see people in these MMA gloves, especially after how uh, things unfolded in this one. But um, as soon as this fight starts, there, there's a lot to pack here. But it. it interesting stuff to say the least so Matua steps in with his hands up and is is doing the whole you know I'm defending bit but you're not really covering yourself like your hands are just up 
um, and he just gets cracked behind the ear with the overhand right. Um, Tank was just throwing bombs from the start of this one, and he caught one early. Um, and literally, as he as he gets cracked, he continues trying to move forward, try to close the distance, and Tank backs up and lands a sneaky upper uppercut that almost dropped Matua. Like it landed really flush, had him wobbled, and from that point on, he was almost on skates. Like he, he would, he would hit the ground, but then hop back up. So he's like trying to keep his balance while also trying to remain defensive, but it looks like a cartoon almost like he's hurt and he's falling and he's skittering all across the mat, uh, trying to regain his footing. Um, and when you got somebody like tank Abbott in front of you, uh, that is not the time to be trying to regroup yourself. Um, so he's doing his best to try to keep his eyes on tank. Um, but obviously he's falling down. So as he, as he did fall one more time, he ended up in sort of a front headlock position. Um, and tank is just landing these shots wherever he could get them from the left hand, um, to the uppercut, just trying to find ways to crack him while he's doing this whole, um, skittering all over the place bit. Um, so after he tries to get up from this sort of position where he's on one knee on the ground, um, he, he just gets cracked. And you see these two specific right hands from Tank Abbott just, just, just lethal, like just lethal, man. Um, he lined them up nasty with those right hands. And then from that point, after he saw them land, he just grabbed him with his left hand and just starts going to town with the right, not even trying to throw the left, just, just holding him in place with the left and then clubbing him with the right. And you see that last right hand that lands, spins his chin around, and he goes down stiff. Like, this, this was a bad, bad knockout. And he was stiff before he even hit the ground. And... Big John wasn't in a good position um, to try to stop the fight early. He was very slow to stop it. So after he was already knocked out and stiff, uh, Tank jumped on him and landed a big right hand that looked just terrible, like terrible, man. You, you, you're already out on the ground and you're getting hit with a punch like that. It's just not a good time. That, that It is not a good time. You, I know that that one could have potentially took moments of this man's life away with all due respect. I hope he's okay and doing well in his later stages of life now, but that was a, that was a horrible knockout and a horrible, like I wrote here that in my opinion, that was the worst knockout since Pat Smith against Scott Morris, where he was sort of trying to get up and run across the cage because he was so dazed that he couldn't stand up, man. Um, literally Big John had to lower his arms um, to like lay him down on the mat because he was just laid out on the mat with his hands still in the air. Uh, just, a, just a tough one to watch, one that, that you really wonder, like, is this guy okay? Um, and thankfully they showed him leaving with some help from his corner uh, a little bit later on um but he needed oxygen and he was just in a bad way like you saw he was he was really knocked out bad and to make a debut like that like you're sending shivers down the backs of everyone in the in the in the, in the back just waiting to compete like damn I, i'm gonna have to fight that guy um crazy stuff just what a debut uh by tank abbott and um hopefully for the rest of the night big john is on notice because that that was a bad knockout and it only it only added to it the fact that um there was a bad stoppage so that one ended and it sounded like a lot happened there but that one ended at 20 seconds so our first corner final battle of the night i feel like this is a theme across all these usa events for some reason somehow these first tournament bouts are nuts. Like someone gets knocked out in the most crazy of ways. Um, 20 seconds in, now we're on to our second quarterfinal bout. So really cool stuff, man. Really cool stuff. 
Next up, we have Cal Worsham standing in at five foot 10, 230 pounds, coming up against Paul Varlins, the polar bear, who's standing at six foot eight, 300 pounds. So one of the most imposing figures to ever step in the octagon at this point. Um, and someone that's even rivaling Tank Abbott's size is much bigger than him. I just wanted to start off by saying rest in peace to Paul Varlins. He unfortunately passed away due to COVID complications um, recently, obviously one after the pandemic, just hard stories to hear. And it was cool to see him get some respect on one of the broadcasts after the obviously tragic incident where he passed away, but um, rest in peace to Paul. It was great to watch back and see your debut and see how you did in this tournament because it makes sense why um, even all that time after, you know, the UFC did what they did to honor you because in my opinion, I think a big part of why this event was so special is because of Paul Varlins and um, his fighting style. But Cal is representing Taekwondo and this one, this one was a, a firecracker, man. I love this fight specifically because it had all the things you ask for. It had, at this level, obviously, um, there isn't too many high-level technicians in the UFC just about yet, but this one had it all as far as a fighter in Cal that's trying to <clears throat> implement their game in the most technical way possible. And in this case, that was trying to intercept Varlins as Varlins was coming in. So you see a clear game plan from the beginning. He's backing up. It's opening up with the sidekick and sort of um, trying to be slick and landing shots while backing away from Paul. So trying to get him to, to be the aggressor and be the matador and sort of control the fight in that way, um, which there's a lot of times where... In modern day MMA, you see this happen on both ends where both guys are trying to get the opponent to come in and charge in against them. Not this time, not at this point, though. So so when I recognized that in this one, I was excited because I'm like, this guy clearly has a game plan. And that says a lot more. Um, that says a lot at this time, because um, not not a lot of people came in with the game plan back in the day. Um, <clears throat> so. He landed a really nice right um, right hand on Paul Varlins as he's sort of charging in. And then it caused just a, an exchange of just haymakers, like haymakers, where both guys are just throwing down, just taking a punch to land a punch. And you can see Cal is still trying to move, still trying to stay on the back foot and sort of keep circling away. But at some point, when someone's charging at you, you have to sort of stand your ground and try to hit them with something to sort of get them off of you a little bit, get, get some respect, earn some respect, and force them to stop, you know, chasing you in that way. And you could see he was trying to do that, but it ultimately just ended up in these wild, prolonged exchanges where they're both just throwing bombs. And um, they ended up in a uh, what I call a Don Fry Takayama situation, which if, you, if you're familiar with that bout, you know exactly what they're talking about, where they're both holding on to the singer collar tie, looking at each other right in the face and just landing right hands at the same exact time. Just boom, boom. Just <laughs> who's going to take it longer um, and who hits harder? That's really what it's about at that point. There's no movement. You're literally anchored, holding each other and just landing shots with the with the opposite hand. Just crazy stuff. This one was a barn burner, literally. Um, one of my favorite fights that I've watched so far in, in all of the tournaments, just because it was so back and forth, as well as um, so much just output. Um, both guys were just landing so many shots. Um, but there was, there was a lot of times where Kyle was throwing himself, um, forward in order to land these shots because he wanted to, to get Varlin's respect. And in doing that, in, in throwing the punches that way, um, he sort of left himself there to be headlocked. Um, 
where he he ends up in that front headlock position a couple of different times because he's throwing punches that hard. Um, and there was a moment in this fight where Cal landed a little three-piece that you could tell stunned Varlins and had him bleeding actually out of his mouth. And he just kept coming forward like a, like a zombie. And you could see at that point, like after he landed that three-shot combination, there was a big deep breath, like like what the hell am I going to have to do to get this guy off of me? And that's the, that's the hardest thing to do in a fight from what I, what I've hear, heard from a lot of competitors is to fight going backwards. And that's what Cal's been doing this whole time. So you could see as fatigue starts to set in, you know, his head is dipping even more. And eventually Varlins landed a nice left hook that left Cal sort of still bent over and then followed up with the most strange strike ever on the feet because tech this will only work if your opponents bend it bend it over in front of you but he lands a downward elbow right to the crown to the back of the head um that immediately put cow out like he hit the ground and you see his arm sort of limp out for a second and then he taps um two strikes to try to help the ref get in faster because at this time i love you big john but that your stoppages has been terrible so far in this event, um, forcing a lot of a lot of guys to, to get a little bit more unnecessary punishment. Um, obviously, no punishment should be necessary, but that's what we're here to do. We we're here we're here to compete, and ultimately that's a part of it. So can't be too upset at the ref, but you got to get in faster than that. You got to get in faster than that. Um, but. I'm just going to tell you guys right here, this was my fight of the night. Like, I had to give it to these guys because this was one of the best fights that I've seen in UFC history up to this point. Um, just a bomb burner. Watch this one because it's it's fun. It's fun to say the least. Um, and, of course, after a fight like that where the crowd is just going nuts, they start going to the crowd shots and showing these guys that are in the um, crowd to watch the fights. And there's two names here that I found hilarious, which really shows you, obviously, the, the time we're in here. Uh, Leon Spinks was in the crowd, obviously, heavyweight champion, the only man to ever take a title from Muhammad Ali in the, in the ring. Um, just an absolute monster. And he's there. I hyped as hell watching these fights. Uh, it was cool to see him there, as well as... Um, our man from Baywatch, David Hasselhoff in the building, looking handsome as ever. Young David Hasselhoff, the what, what, what many would call the most handsome man to ever grace the, the TV screen. Um, but hilarious that they're they're highlighting these people in the crowd and sort of showing, you know, where we got this is this is for the entertainers. This is this is how entertainers get entertained. They come to watch um these insane fights and i think that's still the, the case today like your favorite sports um figures whether it's lebron whether it's whoever it may be across all the different sports they come to watch these fights they come to be entertained by um the combat athletes so re really cool stuff obviously and cool to see them highlight that so our third quarterfinal matchup we have Rudyard Moncayo, a Spanish man coming in at five foot 10, 205 pounds, coming up against another returning veteran from the UFC. Obviously, a, a, a finalist in the tournament before, ultimately came up short against Hoyce Gracie. But Patrick Smith is making his UFC return. And it was really cool to see him back. Obviously, I think the last time he competed was. UFC three, I believe. Um, let me just get that straight. It might be UFC four. Pat No, it was UFC 2, so I was mistaken. So, yeah, always cool to see a, a returning face, especially one that's established that you know 
uh, can do some damage in these tournaments. So it's always interesting to see how these guys come back and how they um, how they look after some time off. So just excited to watch this one. <clears throat> so the the first thing that I noted that was I was really surprised to see was that Pat Smith wore an all white singlet. Um, so that that gave me the first clue, like either this guy has been wrestling because uh, usually he used to come in with a full kickboxing getup. Um, either this guy's been wrestling or he's just trying to flex with the white singlet. I don't know. Um, but I think off rip, you could see as they're doing the introductions, um, Moncayo looked nervous, man. He's all he's doing a whole touching his face bit. Hmm. Excuse me. Um, so you could tell that he's nervous and Pat Smith is just ready to go, just burning, ready to, to run across, literally jumping out of the little designated um, circles they had. I don't think I've ever explained this, but in the cage, they have two circles that are in the corners of the, the, the obviously you got the red corner, blue corner traditionally. At this point, it wasn't labeled red and blue, um, but obviously they were designated for each fighter. So there was a little corner in the octagon. So obviously, you know, it's an octagon. So it's a little circle and in the corner of the octagon where it's a black circle where that's your, where you're supposed to stand when the fight starts. So you're not supposed to move from there. And literally, uh, Pat Smith is like stepping forward out of the circle. And you hear Big John scream at him. This is, this is why, this is why we love Big John because he's no nonsense. He is literally screaming get your ass back into the circle <laughs> Pat Smith as Pat Smith is just rearing to go. Um, hilarious, hilarious that he had to say it a couple of times um, in order for him to, to be able to even start the fight because he was just too, too excited to get started. Um, but of course, keeping that same energy, uh, Pat Smith literally runs across the cage and throws a freaking Sparta kick from 300 into the hole just runs across and throws a front kick to the chest that drops Moncayo literally almost hits him in the face like it, it was upper upper chest neck area um I was just like that that's truly a night of shit right there just just coming out with the with the 300 Sparta kick hilarious um so Makayo tried to get up as fast as he could. It was more of an off-balancing knockdown than it was a sort of being knocked down from impact. Um, and as he tried to get up, Pat Smith clamped on his patented guillotine. Um, and he, it wasn't on entirely. You could see he was using it more to hold Moncayo. And he did a really good job from there of landing some cheeky shots to the ribs while holding on to that guillotine. Um, Makayo eventually was able to push him up against the fence. And then Pat Smith just decided from there, like, I'm going to jump off this fence. Uh, like I've been mentioning a lot of times when you get pushed into the fence, there's some give to the fence. So you could get momentum and sort of propel yourself off of it. Uh, and that's what Pat Smith did. He sort of waited to his back at the fence, bowled over Moncayo, and now he's on top of him in full mount, which obviously is not a place you want to be against Pat Smith. Um, th this was a really cool transition though, because as Pat Smith ended up in full mount, he goes to land some shots and Moncayo immediately sort of bellied out and tried to, to stand up and end up in a position where sorry about that. <clears throat> he immediately bellied out and tried to stand up and he stood up very quickly um, but Pat Smith in the transition just grabbed the neck and locked on a rear naked choke literally with no hooks. Um, so he, he has the choke in that angle, throws himself back in order to secure it. So now he's on the floor, um, obviously holding the choke, but didn't even lock the hooks in. Like he just holds on to the choke from the top side and throws himself onto the floor. So there's no... There's no hooks in and he's able to get the tap. Um, I wrote like Pat Swift must have one hell of a squeeze because 
obviously the the hooks are there for a reason there's a reason why you get your legs involved in these rear naked chokes i was really surprised that he was able to get the finish from that position um and that was at one minute and eight seconds he was able to secure the rear naked choke so just really cool stuff from pat smith good to see him back and with some new tricks, um, it's not just the guillotine. Now now he's learning other chokes as well. And he actually admitted in the, in the interview afterwards, he's like, I, I never practiced that uh, choke from that angle. He's like, but it, it, when it works, it works. You know, when, when you have someone's neck, you got to clamp onto it. And that's exactly what he did. So next up, this one I had circled. As soon as I saw the matchups, I was like, I can't wait to watch this one. Um, Dave Benito, a finalist from, I believe it was UFC five. Yep. Our last event, um, Dave, the gentleman, um, he literally says that in the beginning of this, that he's thankful for everyone coming into this one, literally thanks his mom, his family. Uh, what a gentleman, what a gentleman. Um, and, and then we have Oleg Taktarov, who's also returning from competing in UFC five and, two obviously formidable forces in in the UFC he lost to Dan Severn um who actually went on to be the champion so nothing to be too ashamed of of course um but this is a finals versus semifinals matchup Dave Benito made it to the finals Oleg Taktarov to the semis and both lost to the same guy so this is sort of a a bronze medal match in some ways um or should I say silver medal match? Yeah, to find out who's the second best <laughs> when you're considering the three of them. Um, interesting stuff, man. I was really excited to watch this one. So as soon as the fight starts, Benito shoots straight for a double leg takedown. And he literally uh, ends up in this weird position where he hits the legs and he's holding them. But he isn't able to secure the takedown immediately. So he's in that position sort of attacking the takedown and Taktarov did a good job of landing some uppercuts some sneaky uppercuts on the way down as Benito eventually obviously is able to secure the takedown now in Taktarov's guard he tried to pressure up at multiple times to try to land some strikes um not pressure up posture up and every time he would, that would allow Oleg to use the fence. Um, and he would literally, as soon as he would try to get up, he'll just grab the fence and try to get up, which I, I thought was really cool. Obviously, you, there's no penalty to grabbing the fence, so why not? Um, and Benito was using some really good combinations. Like you can see of the two, um, Benito is the one that's willing to strike way more, even though he also has wrestling credentials. Um, and he was able to land some nice combinations against the fence that had Taktarov hurt. Um, Taktarov doesn't eat, take shots well. Like, he doesn't defensively move with them well. So he ends up just covering up and still getting hit and getting hit hard, um, which obviously doesn't look good when you're trying to wrestle because it just makes it seem like you're getting pieced up and now you're panic shooting. Um, so one way dimensional wrestling attacks, um, are still very dangerous, even though it's dangerous because if they can't stop you from getting the takedown, then they're, you're basically done, but it's dangerous because you're taking shots. And at the end of the day, if someone could, even if they're not the better grappler than you, if they could land faster than you and keep doing their thing, then they could have you in some serious trouble before you even get a shot to get the takedown. Um, I found this really cool though, because there was a nice little grappling transition here where Oleg shot for a leg after getting um, hit with a nasty combination and Benito rolled through the single leg. So as he rolled through, Oleg hustled up to, to get up first and ended up in a sort of front headlock position. And from there, he was able to um, drop back for a guillotine. And this this is uh, a this is a theme for this event clearly, um, but th he was able to get it. This is the first one of the night, and um, at some point, I'm trying to figure out exactly when. I still don't even know exactly when, but at some point, Benito was cut, and I'm guessing that it it might have been when he was on top 
and he might have scraped his his head against the fence um, trying to land shots before Tactar was able to use it to get up. And that's the only thing that makes sense to me um, because he didn't really get hit with any punches that would have opened that cut. Um, but either way, man, Oleg Tektarov comes away with the guillotine win at 57 seconds. And now the landscape of this tournament is just blowing my mind as I'm watching this live. So we've got Tank Abbott, Paul Varlins, Patrick Smith, and Oleg Tektarov. Like the smaller guys, one of them has just insane levels of striking with submission attacks. The other one is a pure grappler, kind of like Hoist Gracie in that way. And then you have two just behemoths, two really big heavyweight style fighters. Um, and depending on how these semifinals are sort of matched up, you can see these fights going either way. So th that's why I really love this event, because obviously it's been nothing but great finishes. But at the same time, these matchups, are they're formidable opponents. You don't feel like, oh, it's Hoist Gracie. He's automatically going to win. Like, no, they, these are competitive fights, uh, which make you excited. Uh, more so than anything, in my opinion, because um, watching dominance is very, don't get me wrong, that's very special as well to watch people dominate. But at the same time, when there's mystique to it, when there's actually a question about who's going to win, uh, that adds a lot of drama to these fights, uh, which make me even more excited. So our first semifinals bout, we have David Tank Abbott, six foot, 280. Versus Paul, the polar bear, Varlin, 6'8", 300 pounds. Um, once again, just super excited for this one. I was pumped for it when it started. And it did not disappoint. Uh, right from the start, Tank is landing his patented overhand right. Um, and once again, Paul did the bit where he has his hands up. But for some reason, they don't help defend punches at all. Um, your hands are up, but for what? Um, he was able to sort of land a right hand and then duck in and push Paul against the fence. So I'm like, is he going to start going for a takedown? Like is, is tank Abbott going for a takedown right now? Um, after the, the way he got that knockout in the first fight, I didn't expect that at all. And then of course, Varlins starts to look for a guillotine. Um, but Tank did a really nice job countering it by going to an outside trip on the same side of the guillotine, uh, which allowed him to end up in half guard and avoid um, avoid the choke, which is very slick. You see this a lot often um, in today's MMA, more, more so with double legs than single legs. Um, but it was a very, very aware move to, to get the takedown in the direction of the choke so that you could obviously end up in a much better position and prevent yourself from being choked. So you could tell that um, he has grappling experience as well, which is scary when you're facing someone with that level of striking power uh, that we've seen already in the tournament. Um, so Varlins kept trying to tie up Tank Abbott's neck, um, but all the while he's getting bombed on from top position. I mean, He's just holding on to the head as a way to, to try to stop the shots. Um, but it was rough, man. And especially because of the fact that he took him down against the fence. Um, he really had his head pinned against the fence. And, man, Tank Abbott is just a, a nasty motherfucker. I wrote that here, too. This man literally um, pins his, obviously, Farland's head is already against the fence. He just straight post his knee on Varlin's head and um, puts all his weight onto the knee. So he's just grinding Paul's head into the mat. And as he's doing this, he's holding himself up through the cage. And you see him look through the cage and smile at the camera. Like what a sadistic, <laughs> like you're just loving every second of this, which I found so nuts. I'm like, he has the wherewithal to do that but also he's actually enjoying this, um, which is something that we didn't really see up to this point. Obviously the competition has always been a part of it, um, but enjoying uh, and taking solace and hurting your opponent has, is not something that we've seen yet. And I think it's, it adds to the level of sort of scariness that Tank Abbott has up to this point. Um, 
So Tank started landing some nasty left hands with him pinned against the floor with his knee. Um, that obviously forced Big John to stop the fight. And I've never seen this up to this point either. And, and it rarely happens now. But Paul Varlins was pissed at the end of this fight and was screaming um, at Tank and sort of almost looking like he was going to run at him, that his his corner men had to come in and sort of restrain him up against the cage. Like, hey, like the fight is over, man. The fight is over. And I'm sure he knew the fight was over. Um, but he was just pissed at the end of that one. And I mean, who could blame him? It's just crazy stuff. Um, oh, man, just crazy stuff. The, this one was a big turning point in this one where after this fight, I was like, who the hell is beating this guy? Like, no, nobody's beating this guy. Like, he's enjoying this on a whole different level. Um, and I had to add this because obviously just to kind of give you guys a sense of who tank abbott the character is in the the post fight they're showing the in the the replay of what's going on during his interview and he literally says like oh you got to turn that off i'm starting to get sexually aroused and the announcer looks at him like what the fuck (laughs) like what the fuck bro and he's just there like yeah uh, so cringe, man. So cringe. Um, but just like that, we got our first finalists, and now we got our first, sem- our second semifinal bout. So this one was supposed to be Oleg Taktarov versus Patrick Smith. Patrick Smith was forced to withdraw due to some sort of injury. So in comes Anthony Mad Dog Macias. Obviously, he had that win early on in the night. Um, so good to see him back. <clears throat> but this one was nuts. So Oleg Taktarov standing in at six foot two ten. Anthony Macias coming in at 5'10", 190. So Macias runs straight across the cage for a takedown, which what's new? Oleg, I found this so cool, man. Oleg fainted a kick. So as um Macias is already sort of ducked down in a t- position to go for a takedown. He brings the leg up as if he's going to throw a head kick. And that move alone caused Macias to pick his hands up to try to block on that same side. And as he did that, um, (laughs) Oleg just goes straight for a guillotine. Like, doesn't even waste time trying to defend the shot because he knows he's flinching now. He just grabs the neck and, and does a beautiful job of rolling through. So... He literally throws himself back in order to secure the guillotine and literally ends up in a mounted guillotine position and finishes, gets Macias to tap in literally nine seconds. Um, Just one of the fastest submissions I've ever seen, let alone, um, like this is faster than Ronda Rousey's submissions. Uh, Just crazy, man. Just crazy that he was able to get this one this quick and now I'm like, this finals is nuts. We got Taktaro versus um, Tank Abbott. And next up, we got Dan Severn versus Ken Shamrock. Like, this is by far, in my opinion, the best one-two punch to end off a card uh, that we've had ever. Um, just anticipated fights that, that got me super hyped. Um, so I can't wait to get into the super fight. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll get right back into it. And we're back. So now it's time to get into the featured bout of the night. I'm, dude, like I said, super excited for this one. We've got Dan Severn coming in at six foot two, 260 pounds, coming up against Ken Shamrock. He's listed as six foot 205. They've listed it as the exact same way every time he's competed. And I will admit this time specifically, he looks way heavier than that. Like this dude is jacked. Like this is the peak anabolic steroid moment for Ken Shamrock's career. And I mean, he's popped many times since, so I don't think it's crazy to make these assumptions, but man, this dude looked at least 245. Like he looked jacked. Um, and I found this one really cool. Cause actually on the, on the broadcast, they put up a poll 
where 55% of the people polled said they thought that Dan Severn would win. Only 39% were going for Shamrock and 9% um, had listed that it would go to a draw. So I found that hilarious that they had that as an option. And so many people were on Dan Severn, but it makes sense. He's the bigger wrestler. Both guys are wrestlers. Um, so only time will tell. Um, Shamrock opened this one up with a, a low single that was defended very well, which once that moment in the bout happened, he defended the low single. Severn pushed Shamrock um, up against the fence. I had this feeling that both of these guys, although they are both wrestlers, they're not going to have an easy time um, getting the positions that they want to get to against the one another because they're also good defensively. Um, and that's key. Um, both of these guys were doing a great job of keeping the other at bay. Um, so they will end up in this sort of single collar tie wrestling stand up position where they're both sort of in a position where they could shoot for a takedown um, or they could just land shots. Um, so Shamrock started taking advantage. He started landing nice cheeky little knees uh, to help get him back separated and up in open space. But whenever they'll get to open space, um, Shamrock will be trying to pump that jab and, and keep that jab going in order to keep Severn at distance. And I found this so cool, man. Um, Shamrock threw that jab and then Severn actually did a very good job of leaning out the way and landing a quick right hand um, counter to that jab that sh um, stunned Shamrock for a second. Um, and I was like, oh, snap. Like he, he literally was able to time that counter very well um, and obviously you're, you would think these guys are both wrestlers. Now it's turned to a striking match. So I, I found that really funny. Um, just another, another example of how these stylistic matchups really determine how the fight goes. Cause for, for the most part, uh, both guys are wrestlers. It kind of cancels each other out a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but Severin kept going for takedowns, um, but Shamrock did a very good job of defending and sort of separating and keeping, keeping himself on a good inside head position um, so that whenever he would uh, try to defend the takedown, he would end up in the right position in order to, to prevent himself from falling over. Um, I found that really cool. And, and it also led to a position where they were in that same single collar tie multiple times during this fight where they're both sort of angling to try to find the perfect shot takedown, but weren't able to find it. So they just disengage. Um, and eventually Severn actually snapped down Shamrock into a front headlock position, um, which I found really cool. Obviously the wrestlers going up against each other. Of course, someone hits a snap down. Um, and then eventually he sort of lift his head in order to drive through for a takedown. And um, in that moment, Shamrock freed his own head and locks up a tight guillotine um, that forced Severn to let go of the takedown and temp entirely in order to free himself from the choke, um, which was telling because you could tell that Shamrock has a good squeeze and it's threatening to Sever. Um, so Severn ended up pushing Shamrock to the fence and, and working towards another double leg. Um, but then once again, in that same position, Shamrock wrapped up the guillotine again and, um, Severn ended up sitting in it for a second. It didn't look too bad. Um, and then you see him go and throw a big right hand to the groin of Shamrock. Um, sort of this, this last ditch effort to loosen up the grip, but man, it was too late. And, uh, Severn was forced to tap up against the fence to the guillotine choke. Um, this has just been a record day for guillotines, um, just two in a row at this point. Um, and this one came at two minutes and 14 seconds. Um, so although this was a much more closer fight than the ending sort of gives you the idea of, um, I thought this, this bat, this bout was just awesome, man. Um, styles clashed in a very interesting way and forced a certain kind of matchup. And I think if they were to fight again, I think undoubtedly just from all the tape we have up to this point, I think Shamrock wins that fight no matter what, um, which brings up this weird feeling where it's like Shamrock has never um, won a tournament, 
but he's beaten, in my opinion, now two past tournament champions in Hoist Gracie and Dan Severin. Um, and he said it right now. They gave him a belt for, for winning this match. And he was like, I'm the first guy to ever win in a featured bout. And it's true because before it, it, his bout with Hoist Gracie went to a draw. Um, so it was cool to see that him get that crowning moment um, and spend some time in the cage with his at the time girlfriend. Uh, hilarious stuff. Um, and with that being said, we're moving on to the main event tournament final. We got the the flashy debutante in David Tank Abbott coming up against um, the returning grizzled vet Oleg Taktarov, the Russian bear. Um, just once again, those blue eyes, man, they, they pierce through your soul. Um, so I was really excited for this one as well, just because Tank Abbott looks so dominant coming into this one, as well as Oleg Taktarov having issues with the striking of Dave Benito, um, but eventually being able to pull it out. So I'm just wondering, like, how the hell is this one going to play out? So this one started off, obviously, on the feet. Oleg was landing a nice jab um, and shot for a takedown, but was immediately just thrown to the ground by Tank Abbott. I found that really interesting because um, you could see the, the strength difference um, in that exchange. Uh, Oleg did a very good job of sort of building to his base and working back to full guard. Um, just that um, it wouldn't allow Tank to sort of posture up and land strikes from that position. Um, and obviously in the full guard is where Oleg wants to be anyway. Um, so he, he, he found his world, even though he, he wasn't able to get the takedown. Um, and multiple times Tank Abbott was trying to flurry but Oleg was doing a good job defensively sort of rolling the shots on the ground and staying out of trouble. Um, and then just tying up whenever he got a chance, you know, sapping the energy, cooking uh, Tank Abbott, as we talked about before on a couple of different episodes. Um, but they ended up back on the feet and Tank is throwing that slick lead uppercut, uh, trying to prevent Oleg from shooting in on takedowns. And man, it landed nicely. Like he had Oleg bleeding from his mouth and really scared of that, of that shot because it's coming in at an odd angle and it's coming in hard every time he throws it. Uh, so he has to be aware of that. Um, and you see he, not only is he aware of that, he's countering it now. Um, he sees that same uppercut. He ducks right under it and uh, gets in on a single leg. Um, but man, tank is just a beast. Tank is a tank for a reason. Uh, he's just very strong at stopping the takedowns, even when they're in on deep shots. Um, so I found it really cool that once he once he got that leg up and started going for that takedown and, and he noticed he wasn't going to get it instead of continuing, he just started landing some punches of his own. He landed a really nice uppercut from the single collar tie that made Tank, you know, want to stop um, laying on him. want to stop ending up in those positions because you know there, there's damage coming back now um and i found that really cool um so tank responded to that by pushing oleg against the fence oleg locks up the guillotine um and everyone everyone had a collective <gasps> moment because obviously you know we know that's his move up to this point um and he drops into full guard he has it technically it looks very good um but tank is able to push his head out and um pop up and end up in full guard once again and obviously once again he gave that the crowd that grin uh like you thought you had me but i'm still here um and i found that moment to be really cool because once again just his character shines through in these fights even in good moments and in bad moments you know he's like you thought you had me but i'm still here and a lot of this fight took place in oleg's guard where he's just trying to land shots not really doing much, um, but trying to do whatever he can to annoy Oleg. He literally would posture up and cover Oleg's mouth. So he'll be just holding his mouth, trying to stop him from breathing while on top of him, um, just being smothering, being annoying, and also trying to maintain his own energy. Because um, obviously they've both already had multiple fights leading up to this one. And Tank is a much bigger guy. 
Um, really cool stuff. Oleg ended up going for a triangle at one point, um, but couldn't keep his leg locked. And you could see after that moment of danger, um, Tank was like, nah, I'm passing. Like, I got to get out of this full guard. He ended up getting into half guard. But from there, it was just sort of a consistent battle where he would try to advance position and Oleg is trying to do the exact same, trying to get the guard back. And they end up sort of in this game where they're both trying to get that um, advance of position. And you could see Oleg eventually attack the knee bar from the half guard position but couldn't get the proper angle and eventually tank just told him to get up um and and let him up but you could see man even when he said that he was exhausted like he was breathing extremely hard and oleg landed a quick one two that you could tell it didn't do much to tank but it pissed him off like you really gonna you really gonna punch me while i'm tired and from there, he just let off a flurry of bombs, trying to hurt Oleg as hard as he can. And he did. He landed some big shots, the most damaging shots of the fight by far by, for either guy. And he and Tank's, are, I mean, Tank, Oleg's already bleeding. So that says a lot that these were the most uh, impactful strikes so far. Excuse me. Um, but Tank does a really good job of, once again, just re-pushing Oleg against the fence and ending up in that safe position one more time. Um, they ended up back on the ground for what, I, what felt like 15 minutes, <laughs> where Tank is just trying to land shots, uh, but can't really do too much, gets wrapped up. Eventually, Big John stands him up and starts them in the corner again. And um, Tank lands a loopy left hook that stuns Oleg pushes him back against the fence again. And of course, Oleg slaps on the guillotine. Um, this time it looks very close to being finished. You see Big John looking over at Tank's corner to see like if they were throwing the towel or whatever. Um, Tank ended up falling forward and it looked like he was out, but he was with that fall, he was able to free himself from the choke, but he was just exhausted from that point. And you could see Oleg just took full advantage of that, got up from that um, position and just went straight uh, to Tank Abbott's back and finished the fight with the rear naked choke. Um, what a crazy fight. Both guys had their moments. Overall, this fight tended to be very boring. Um, there was a lot of moments where they ended up stuck in a position because either Tank was trying to be safe or Oleg wasn't really doing much to attack. Um, but the way that he was able to end it off and stay out of danger in this one, in a, in a fight where he was clearly um, overmatched in the power department, I found that so cool, man. Just uh, the, the real underdog story, the fact that Oleg was able to lose to Dan Severn, end up in the next tournament and, and be able to get the win while also getting one of the nicest um, couple of submissions you, we've seen in any run from anyone since Hoyce Gracie. I mean, he won every single bout by submission um, and obviously just sets him up to be another player in these tournaments that every time he's fighting, you can't, you can't take him for granted. You know, he, he's someone to watch out for. Um, and just keep in mind, the only person he lost to it at this point is Dan Severn. Um, another guy that is coming off of a loss, but is also an established name at this point in the UFC. So I just love these tournaments because it feels like they set up future matchups while also giving new people chances to show themselves as well. So just a lot to look forward um, for next week's episode as well. Um, but let's get into my awards for this week. You guys already know I tip my hat, but I'll tell you again, my fight of the night was Cal Worsham versus Paul Varlins. Both guys threw down um, more so than I've seen ever before, literally in, in all of these fights, uh, just a barn burner of a fight. And I had to put it on this list. Um, our performance of the night, I gave it to Ken Shamrock versus Dan Severn. In my opinion, it wasn't the best submission of the night, so that's why I didn't get it. 
But as far as complete overall performances, there was moments in this one where he was leading with the jab, doing a very good job at keeping Dan Severn at bay with it, as well as defensively doing a tremendous job defending, obviously, Dan Severn's takedowns on an entirely another level. So the fact that he was able to defend and then also um, finish the fight with the guillotines um, just a just a great complete performance for from Ken Shamrock and setting himself up to be the first um, you know returning champion um, besides tournament champions which is really cool to see now my knockout of the night goes to David Tank Abbott against John Matua just a ruthless knockout savage 20 seconds put him out stiff um, crazy crazy debut and can't be too upset you know you made it all the way to the finals you know with that kind of style it's surprising let's be honest it's surprising that he made it that far with that kind of style so uh shout out to tank abbott just a crazy knockout check that one out you guys because it's worth the watch and then finally my submission of the night you got to go with the the nine second submission oleg taktarov versus anthony macias uh just a a great transition rolling through for the guillotine. Um, you don't, you don't end up in positions like that nowadays in MMA. Um, and it's just funny how he's able to, to flip them around and then just finish the fight. Uh, just wild. The fact that we had a nine second and a 22nd uh, fight in both of our KO and knockout of the night just shows that this, this fight car really had it all. It had fi- quick finishes. It had, longer finishes um a bunch of submissions even though one of them was to ground and pound early on in the night but this event just had it all man a lot of drama uh you love to see it and i really encourage you guys to check this one out because i was really impressed um by a lot of performances on this card but um that's it for me today guys thank you so much for tuning in i'm looking forward to next week where we'll be covering another ufc event um as always until we get up to 1997 but fun times i'm looking forward to it um and i can't wait to be back here with you guys again so you guys have a good one peace oh before i leave let me let me mention before i forget um you guys can follow me at negrong mma on twitter as well as chris negrong underscore Finally, please check out OTS Media. Follow the brand. You could check it out on YouTube at OTS Media, as well as on all other social media platforms at OTS Media Co. We got a bunch of shows. Nat Influential doing her basketball talk every week. The Sideline Guys with me and Derek just doing our thing every week. So with that being said, check us out wherever you can and have a good one, you guys. Peace.